Welcome back to the Cineposium Podcast. I'm Martin Ibarra-Ramos. Thank you for joining us for this second episode of Season 3 of our show. To quickly remind you all how the show works, each week we invite members or collaborators of Cineposium to curate a film for remote viewing. Then we have a conversation about the film. New episodes will be published every Thursday, and this week's curator is Cineposium's very own Mike Mazikane. And we're also welcoming first-time guest to the show and new member of Cineposium, Samantha Texan. Without further ado, take it away, Mike. There is a predator on the streets of Gotham City, a predator who's dropping criminals like flies, and the Batman is set up to take the fall. What do you want? To find out who's ice the old gang. It's Batman! The Joker holds all the cards, but he's not exactly playing with a full deck. Can't be too careful with all those weirdos around. When the lines between good and evil begin to blur, Gotham turns against him. Batman, this is the police. You are under arrest. Stay in the light. Next Friday, the Dark Knight stands alone. You think you know everything about me, don't you? This madness ends now. Cartoon Network presents a special Batman movie, Mask of the Phantasm. Batman Mask of the Phantasm wasn't supposed to be like this. It wasn't supposed to be a theatrical animated film. What started out as a 4x3 direct-to-video feature was changed to a widescreen theatrical feature midstream, resulting in an anemic Christmas 1993 box office run. Through it all, though, Mask of the Phantasm has endured to become a cult object. Phantasm isn't like other bat features that came before or after it, obvious differences in medium aside. In the quartet of live-action bat films that were released between 1989 and 1997, Directors Tim Burton and Joel Schumacher probed the Batman side of the ledger more often than not. Phantasm places its emphasis on the man under the cowl by examining the cost and temptation of the inherent fascism within the cape and cowl through the emotional life of Bruce Wayne, not the other way around. By interrogating the man underneath the cowl, Mask of the Phantasm is able to tell a quintessential Batman story. Surprisingly, perhaps controversially, its closest spiritual sibling is Batman v Superman colon Dawn of Justice, wherein an older, cynical Bruce Wayne's personal failings casts a dark shadow over his symbol as he deals with the presence of the Man of Steel. In a stark contrast to other Bat media, pay attention to how powerless this Batman is, perpetually reacting to the plot machinations of the titular Phantasm, an angel of death who is running Gotham's criminal element through with their hooked scythe. The detective is always on the back foot, trying to clear his name and figure out what this newcomer really wants, and that's before the Joker gets involved. With Batman displaced, the film explores the tragic quality of Bruce Wayne and his promise, not as a means to show traumatic events and yet another Wayne murder, but to finally represent the burden he feels, eternally looking for supernatural validation from his parents. A twist of fate encounter with Andrea Belmont, however, throws that entire order into disarray as he begins to question not just if he could be Batman, but should he be eventually prostrating himself before his parents, asking for emancipation from his promise in Kevin Conroy's best work as the character. It doesn't mean I don't care anymore. 
I don't want to let you down, honest, but... But it just doesn't hurt so bad anymore. You can understand that, can't you? It's different now. Please. I need it to be different now. I know I made a promise, but I didn't see this coming. I didn't count on being happy. For the first time in a Batman film, it earns its dramatic angst and makes the core relationship of the film actually effective. Previous Batships are one-sided affairs. Vicki Vale and Dr. Chase Meridian both look at Bruce Wayne and Batman with a pathological interest. Bruce Wayne looking right back with all the empty charm of a leading Hollywood man. The actors in writing lacking the chemistry to make these couplings nothing more than the rote compulsory heterosexuality you come to expect from Hollywood blockbusters. Phantasm shows audiences why Bruce and Andrea would work together. Representing the why creates for the film what former Batman writer Tom King describes as love and joy that combines with the tragedy of his past into something new, which the producers used to illustrate and verbalize the why of Batman, mirroring him with the wraith-like and wrathful Phantasm in an effective mirroring that none of the other live-action films have managed to create. Mask of the Phantasm is, as Sidhant Adalakaha says, Batman laid bare, stripped down and forced to reckon with his own darkness and potential, like Alfred's reaction when he first sees the cape and cowl. All in 77 minutes, the shortest of any theatrical bat feature currently made. Start with Samantha. What did you think of this movie? Because you said this was like your first time seeing it. Correct. So yeah, so it was my first time actually seeing it, but I'd grown up and watched the show my almost entire life. And it's it was really good. I think I agree with I know um Roger Ebert and them got to review it and they're like, We regret not seeing it in the theater, and I regret not seeing it in the theater because watching it, it feels like an episode that was just like an out, you know, a longer episode on the computer, but in a theater, it probably would, you'd feel the ambiance of fellow Batman fans and everything that's like, oh, this feels like a film. So it's, it's really good. I just felt so bad that it wasn't in the context of the theater. So I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, it's a really good long episode. And I like that it really did analyze for, I want to say a nicer view of Batman versus what we kind of get later, like in the video games, everything else where he's just angry, angry, angry at some point. And never really analyzes him as like, okay, well, he's going to be, you know, kind of balanced and not as angry, analyze where it comes from and interacting with someone else who had also lost their parents, talking to them from the grave. So he doesn't seem as, I'm just so angsty all the time, insert Batman voice here. It was, okay, it's slowly developing how and the poor guy's never ends up happy even if it's something minimal like never getting the girl yeah like in in that review of the home release for the movie Siskel and Ebert were like it actually tells a story and like this kind of like stabbing charm of just like yeah the most of the Batman movies they don't really well no some that they, they tell stories but like this is just it runs like clockwork Martin how about you you finally get to see this movie after listening to me yammer on about it forever <laughs> Yeah, so this was also my first time with the film, and um, I to agree with Samantha, I this is also my um, sort of return to you know this whole um, 
sort of aesthetic. I was a fan of the animated series, although um, I don't know how much of it I really remember. Um, to be honest, I do remember watching it a lot, and, and I remember certain characters. So, like, if this was indeed like the the phantasm's introduction to the world or not i wouldn't have known i i don't really remember uh so um what i'll say is first and foremost uh i really enjoy just being back in this whole like world you know the animation style the voice actors um that we get i also really appreciated actually one thing in particular was the uh, sound design and and um and that of the uh voice of the phantasm which i think to again agree with samantha actually the theatrical experience of that I think would have been really interesting because it um I wasn't really expecting it and I I just I pay attention to those kinds of things and really enjoyed it and also the music really stood out to me too I thought um across I was just really felt back in the world and really enjoyed uh if if we can call it a score uh, the, the score throughout the film so um yeah it was interesting that I, I I wasn't really sure what to expect with this and that attention to Batman Bruce Wayne's origin um, you know, felt uh, familiar, but um, I think it this this very much stands on its own. It, it felt different than you know the same sort of um, scenes, the chronology of scenes that we usually get in a lot of Batman origin stories. This felt like a particular um, you know moment within that timeline, and uh, um, I really appreciated that. And as you say, kind of spending time with Bruce Wayne and. Um, uh, all, as well as the kind of shared um, trauma that he has with uh, Andrea and, you know, w- what goes on with, within that relationship. I, I really enjoyed it, and I was surprised by, uh, you know, how how this, this felt like something very familiar but very different for me from what I've seen before. So I'll leave it at that for now. I kind of wanted to, like, unpack the Andrea of it all. Because, like, I, I and I wrote a longer version of the note, but... I, I made this little aside that the next, after her, the next great batship is with Chris O'Donnell's Dick Grayson, hmm. actually, and like it's kind of, like it's it's somewhat tongue in cheek, but also like I'm incredibly serious because that's like Batman's next great relationship in the films, and how women in Batman movies just that's a terrible role. Like they're all, it's all one-sided, not quite damseling, but like they are objects to be saved than characters to want and desire their own things. Like even like Anne Hathaway's Selena Kyle gets like that way in the end a little bit. And it just, like I, I did this whole Batman rewatch a couple years ago. And like the thing that just kept uh, reinforcing for me was just like how lacking in chemistry whatever Bruce Wayne and whatever big major Hollywood actress they brought onto this movie, just they had. And it's just like, Oh, cause like I, w- I was watching Batman forever a couple weeks ago, actually. And I just, I texted Alex, the co-host of this podcast. and was like, there's no hetero explanation for uh, Val Kilmer's Batman in that movie. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's just, it's so like, it's Joel Schumacher making the movie. So I'm pretty sure he was like, yeah, there isn't, but it's just like in these movies, it's just like they force this just compulsory heterosexual relationship into these movies. And I'm just like, maybe if you took it out, it would be better. And in this one, like they just, they do the basics of here's why they work together as a couple and why they'd want to spend time with each other, which is 
my biggest critique whenever I like I love rom-coms and romance movies and most of the time I'm just like but why are these people together besides them being pretty yeah yeah agreed um which yeah I think it's something kind of to what I was trying to express when I when I just gave my sort of reaction is there are things that feel familiar certainly uh you know in in terms of like the the kind of attraction that's that's kind of built immediately in within you know Bruce Wayne and his counterpart and um but it, but uh, to your point I think the the character work is what stands out uh the the fact that we understand um this this character's motivations and I, I again to to uh, go back to the point I made earlier that sort of shared trauma I think and and we understand both of their positions we understand um both of their motivations I think that's kind of like it feels like kind of like a bare minimum and uh in this way it certainly paid off because i agree with you i don't think it's quite paid off as much before although it feels like something that's you know it seems maybe like expected to be done in this sort of narrative but um yeah i, I totally uh in, in appreciated this um connection here because I, I i do think it paid off and certainly when we when we get, get to talk about the ending, we'll we'll kind of unpack why it works. But yeah, I do think that um that it pays off in the end for sure. Yeah, to kind of go off that point, like I'm so used to reading, you know, the comics and playing the games as well. So I'm like Selena Kyle, Batman, Selena Kyle, Batman. But they're able to develop that more. So you um you know to your point, Mike, of looking at cinematically all of them, they really don't ever develop the female so to see andrea slash you know andy we get to see her motivations we get to see kind of what she wants she has conversations that don't involve you know kind of in the beck delta she has conversations that don't necessarily involve a guy all the time i mean most of them do but at least it's not in the context of getting a romance it's you know things for her father her family and again her own motivations rather than i'm here just to hook up with Bruce and it's very interesting how quickly unlike some other bat characters or honestly at this point a lot of people will do where they notice hey you're Batman that quick she just knew and that tells you how close um, she is and how I want to say even smart she is because in you know in the comics it's always someone who it took them a while or they've had to know Bruce really well and he had to have trusted them so that shows you how quickly in one film they established one female character finally as being an equal to Bruce and able to, you know, pick up on both lives and not judge him for him, not have the moment of you need to be just Batman or you need to be just Bruce. Very much is like you could do both in the context of some of the stuff in her life as well. So she's very well-rounded versus stuck. And, like, they do all that in about five minutes from probably about minute 15 to minute 22, pretty much. Like, as they, you, you get their meet cute three days later, and then you're basically, because of flashback narrative, you go to the um, World's Fair. And it's, like, it's all that in, like, five minutes of screen time. It's, like, the thing that I keep returning to with this movie is it just runs like clockwork. And that's basically because the four writers on the movie, Alan Burnett, Paul Dini, Martin Pasca, who uh, passed away last year, actually, and uh, Michael Reeves, um, not related to Matt Reeves, uh, basically they just 
cut the movie into 15 minute chunks and divided it by four and like, okay, you get that section, you get that section, you get that section. And like, there, we write it and we put it together and it's perfect. It just all like it, this movie does a lot of plainly good basics filmmaking like the just mirror like okay so like obviously batman and the phantasm are mirrored against each other because that's how that sort of duality is generally associated but then they just give each they give bruce and andy different like variations on the same line and so when it like we can we just jump to the end real quick it's like when he gets to the end where he's just like but what will vengeance bring and she's just like, they took everything from me and like, it's not even crazy, but you should get that. I'm just like, yes, it, it all feels earned. And yeah, it's just, it, like this movie does so much like just basic good storytelling well that, yeah. Yeah, I have to agree. And I didn't, um, I, th- I thought that the, you know, sort of back and forth between um, past and, and present um, also felt really seamless. Um, I picked up on it right away and, and never really felt lost. And, you know, I, I do agree also that the um, the film does kind of move real quickly. But um, in that, I, I felt pretty engrossed. And uh, I felt like I certainly could be, you know, sort of taking my time with it and then kind of um, becoming invested in it all. Because um, I think because it was so introspective and because we get these character moments rather than... I mean, there is a, there is a decent amount of action in it, I'll say. Uh which uh, maybe were my the moments where I was, I don't want to say that I didn't enjoy as much per se, but just that I wasn't maybe particularly as invested in. It was those character moments in particular that I was really interested in, those more quieter moments and introspective moments. And I think all of that really um, enabled it to pay off in a way that made the shorter length of it, although I could have spent longer a longer time with it, um, I think it, it felt really refreshing and, and worked really well for me. Yeah, it was so interesting that, again, unlike every other Batman media, like I'll even say the comics, and again, I'll go back to the video games, so the Arkham series, it's all about fighting, fighting, fighting Batman, but never really having a moment of, hey, Batman, how, how are you holding up? What's your what's your point of view? And it's really, you know, also interesting because in the other mediums, they do the revenge angle, but they make them like the angry revenge person. I'm like, that's not the Batman I knew from the animated series as much. Mm. And you look at it and you're like, oh, okay, he actually has a moment, you know, his own introspection with that whole line of, you know, the basically like, you know, to Bruce, but how he does it is much different than Andrea, where she's, again, Batman doesn't kill. And that's a scene I love where. Gordon runs out and he just says, Batman doesn't kill, so it can't be him. And it's like, that that's, you know, that's Batman. He takes vengeance to a degree. He's not willing to kill anyone. And they kind of have that discussion where it's like, Andrea, you're on the bad path of what I could have been. So it's interesting to have those character moments versus, okay, we're going to have that for, you know, a couple minutes, extend length of like, let's say a cool fight scene. But then what you really want from a superhero especially like Batman, who, unlike the other DC, to bring in the other DC Universe people, um, they're like gods. They're non-human that have to get human um, attributes. He's a human who just happens to be really smart. So we need more... He should be able to have more character moments where where we're not like, oh, well, he's just going to do it because he's Batman. He's just going to solve it because he's Batman. So it's nice to go here's him as a person and we're so used to seeing the newer ones of he's 
a more angry or more revengeful guy. It's like, no, here's where it comes from. And again, like under Bruce Tim's hand and everything, it's so much nice to see that he's just not pure vengeance fuel, blinded by anything. He's like, no, this is why I do it. Without having to very blatantly say it. And again, kind of going to the how they tell the story, basic story elements really well. They do a lot of showing and not telling. So there's the scene where, you know, you figure out, oh, that guy who was a gangster in the gang, that was the Joker, pre the Joker. And they don't turn around and go, did you know, guys? They, you know, show, you know, they show that picture. Batman kind of draws a face and then you go, oh, but there's nothing else. He doesn't go, it is the Joker audience. So they do a lot of really good stuff that some people don't do nowadays. Like we have to get, we have that all explained to us in this chunk of dialogue or whatever. And now, and, but back then, and for an animated feature to which people look down on anime feature and comics, um, you know, they just did it so simply. Like you looked at the picture, you looked at that, that's the Joker. Oh, that guy was also a killer for the gangsters. This guy's, if you didn't somehow know that already, he's deadly. And he has connections with Andy and Andrea and, you know, Bruce's life before. So these are cool story elements they did so well without having to, you know, info dump. Yeah. The animated series is the only Batman, like, film TV property where I'm like, oh, that one doesn't actually kill just because, like, all the other live-action versions except for that one in Batman 66, Adam West, they all kill. They're all murderers. Like, it's just the only, like, I, I have this long rant about how it's only through the like mollifying logic of action movies that were that were allowed to be like, oh no, those people, they're not dead because we didn't see the bodies. But like, no, he like if you look at the movies, he's murdered lots of people. It's only when Zack Snyder goes, no guys, he's, he's fucking murdering these people and it's bad because clearly look at how I'm framing it that people are like, suddenly lose their mind. And yeah. Yeah, I also I'd like I wanted to also um, quickly chime in and say that something else I appreciated with the narrative work here is that, you know, um, we've been talking about how it it really gets into character here rather than um, some of the uh, more obvious tropes. And one thing for me that stood out is it doesn't quite like the end of the world narrative. You know what I mean? Where like you know there's there or like just the complete end of Gotham or something. You know where like in th- things like that. I, I I'm kind of blanking on what happens in each film but you know in this it feels more grounded it's about themes like you know debts and pay, you know paying off debts and and investments and yes there's also the shared trauma and, and the the revenge element and you know we also to get into back I guess to the point I was making before about Batman and Bruce Wayne's origin it felt new I think in a way to me because he's one thing that I really liked is he's trying to establish that like fear element I really liked that moment uh in which he 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 learns like okay I'm I can I can fight these guys but I'm not really scaring them and I really liked that introspective moment there where he's like sort of growing into who he needs to become as a part of that bigger thing of you know do I want a family life or do I want to be the vigilante that I'll become I liked that element tossed in so I think yeah there's to I guess to double down on the fact that I really liked how grounded uh, the narrative was and yet they still blow up the world's fair in a massive, beautiful explosion. Right. And so like, yeah, they're like, there are spectacle stakes here, but like really it's a fight over is Andrea's soul forfeit or not. Mm-hmm. And turns out maybe it is. 
spoiler alert. <laughs> you gotta have those comic book moments. It's always kind of in there. I think to point out, the people who made the anime series are clearly a... Um, they were students of the old Batman into the new one. I've seen many documentaries kind of talking about certain parts of this era where they look at this and it's, you know, you're going from the camp here and the original and the original versions of the comics as well as made by Kane and Bill Finger, if you've ever seen Batman and Bill to know who actually made Batman. But, you know, it's it was campy, but there was sort of this darkness. And then we get into, you know, kind of the 90s or a little bit, the 80s with the comics as well diving into feminine going into the darkness but not going to again too revengeful and then you have the the animated series i was like okay we can balance this come back and again as students of i want to say the older batmans they didn't heavily rely really on old you know established batman villains and i kind of wanted to like say that point because like we've seen the newer movies and every other media for Batman now how many times have you seen the Joker mm-hmm. how many times have you seen Poison Ivy Iceman uh, not Iceman whoo um like all the Batman villains but this movie made its own so the Phantasm isn't a villain already inherently or at least even well known in the comics I completely made up they even made a Harley Quinn they're the ones who made Harley Quinn now really popular so they're smart and they know how to do you know i don't want to use the word like bad guy of the week but kind of in a sense but oh they were always did a good job of how do we flesh out that character so that batman can not only beat them but like how will it work out with how you beat them rather than all right cool batman's gonna win he just punches him you know wins it's like no there's always again introspection so it's really cool to see that this is one of the first, actually, I want to say, out of the films I can think of that even came out now, a film that made a, a completely original villain, the the Joker, I, um, so Mikey posted the trailer, he's in the trailer, but he's not there for half of that film. And he doesn't come into the end as like the surprise, but he's not the main character. It's still Batman and Andrea. So that's really cool that, again, being students of the comics and seeing everything go out it's so interesting just to see that this is what they came up with a really good solid film that can stand on its own without you going i need to go see batman's parents get murdered in front of me again and i don't and i need to know who all these villains are you don't you don't need any context they give it to you without it being too much and that's so good about this film Andrea Beaumont will be making her DC mainline universe debut actually in Batman Catwoman number one by Tom King and Clayman in which comes out in December actually like she's been around for like 20 25 years now basically and like she's only just now showing up in the mainstream comics which is kind of absurd because like there's so many people like I'm going to write my fanfic of Ben Affleck Batman fighting the phantasm. It'll be perfect. I'm just like, Oh buddy. (laughs) The last thing I kind of wanted to get to just was how much um, the scene where he like, like basically he's begging to the, at the gravestone of his parents. And like that, like that scene is just this wonderfully dark moment where he's just like, I didn't expect to ever be happy. And like, that's the thing in all the other Batman movies that we never get is this idea that he's happy. In Burton Batman, it's 
he's mentally deranged, and forever he has no idea who he is. And Robin, he's also, once again, just kind of like, I'm a dad now. I don't know how to deal with partnerships. This is new to me. And begins, in the Nolan trilogy, he's just always just, I'm vengeance. And then in in Batman v Superman, he's just like, oh, I'm consumed by xenophobic fever and rage. So definitely not happy. And just like in this one, they're like, oh, we get to see Bruce Wayne be happy for about five minutes because we get to see why he would want to be with Andrea. When you look at the character of um, not of Rachel Dawes in the first two Dark Knight trilogy films, like there were like, okay, to their credit in Begins, they do develop the kid relationship, why he would be attracted to her because of that to a degree. But like, she's not really her own character. And it just that just gets even more pushed to the front in the dark night. But outside of her, like it just it doesn't really work. And you don't he's never happy. And in this one, he's allowed to be happy like three times. And each time it just gets ripped away from him and you're like, Oh, that's why you're still Batman. That that was the point I was gonna make you know, um so I totally agree. It felt like this, for me, it felt like a really refreshing and relieving moment to have this like period with Bruce Wayne where he's just genuinely happy. And like, and, and we understand why he, he shares this connection with this person. And um, so to the point you were just talking about, I was going to bring up as well that, you know, that although we do get that backstory, um, we don't get much time with that character otherwise. No, there's no real introspection. There's no... Um, there's just really not enough um, writing for that character to understand fully who they are. And the same goes for, I think, in Rises at the end when, you know, Bruce Wayne and um, Selena Kyle are, you know, kind of off on their own and, and like with these new identities, I assume, or whatever. But, you know, the same goes with that character. We don't really get that character fleshed out very much to the point where we really understand their connection or, or um, understand the, the degree of... of happiness that that bruce shares with her and in that relationship or what their life looks like now it's it's really just i don't know it's kind of like open to interpretation i guess but in to a degree that i almost don't care in a way which is kind of sad for me to say but if i'm being truthful i guess that's how i feel like the the live action batman films the 89 to 97 cycle at least and well okay afterwards but like they're all supposed you're supposed to understand them on the level of star power and like, why is Batman with Selina Kyle at the end of Rises? Oh, because it's Anne Hathaway and Christian Bale. That's why. And in mm-hmm. this one, it's Kevin Conroy, who we don't see, but we hear his voice. And um, uh, oh, it's Dana Delaney, because she plays Lois Lane in the Superman animated series. Mm-hmm. Who like, two fairly obscure voice actors, like, much love to Kevin Conroy and Dana Delaney. But like, they're not exactly mainstream icons the way... Christian Bale, Val Kilmer, George Clooney, any of the Batmans are, or any, or like anywhere near like peak early nineties, Nicole Kidman was in forever. Like I, I'm, I'm still, I'm just kind of hung up on like, why did Nicole Kidman take that role? She just looks so confused in this movie. Like what movie am I in? I'm in a serious world. I'm a serious actress. And then this whole movie's going on around her. Yeah, there was so much of like that star power thing in the other films that it's glad like when it's an anime piece, yeah, you don't see them. And then also this is before we do that whole celebrity voice actor thing. 
So imagine if that was the case now. It would have been like, oh my gosh, Batman is played by blah, 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 blah. Anything that kind of happened with the Lego Batman movie a little bit, which is when I just remembered it's maybe probably a, a happy Batman piece. But again, to their credit, it's like, oh, here's people that you don't see their faces. They're carrying this film. Some people apparently on, I've read some reviews, they're like, oh, the only good one was Mark Hamill's Joker. I'm like, he is the Joker. That is the Joker voice everyone hears. There's no way you don't hear it. But it's like, you don't unhear Kevin Conroy as Batman. He is forever Batman. And he does a really good job of, you know, putting the shrill in his voice and he's like, why can't I ever be happy? And again, we see him happy and it's so rare. And anywhere from comics to even the new, the newer animated series, kind of the post that era where it's coming out like straight on DC and stuff, which incredibly more violent stuff. Like Batman's never happy there either. And he has a bunch of his kids around him. So it's like, wow, you're never happy. Here's you being happy and losing it. Not because of anything that's your fault. Also, I want to bring up because in the other films, it's something somehow related to him. Oh no, your enemy killed your girlfriend. Oh no, this it's like, oh, that's actually all kind of, I don't want to say her fault, but she chose she chose vengeance and she was like, okay, bye. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a sense of anything that's your fault, Batman, feel bad, be in sorrow forever. It's like, no, he got to be happy. It was just unfortunately taken from just like his parents without it having to be a death also. Unlike the, people really love the Christopher Nolan pieces, but I feel like he has a habit of killing off the females. So it's like, oh, here's tragedy, another death. So it doesn't have to be a death for it to be sad for Batman. And that also gives complexity, which I love, versus intense sadness, intense anger all the time. So I love that he did that, and I really love that, you know, this piece is an entire love letter to Batman. Developing, you know, again, a character out of nowhere, making, um, in a sense, like the Joker does appear, but he's not the main star. Batman gets all these layers and you kind of wish why don't water pieces still do that they don't need the star power and they don't also don't need to rely again on the old stock characters like oh we all know the joker so we expect this or we all see catwoman we need to see her with we need to see her with batman that doesn't need to happen so i wish more modern films for batman go back to this judging by some of the more recent posts for like the robert pattinson one coming out I think it's going to go the Batman Catwoman kind of route. And again, with star power. So I'm hoping that's not what happens anymore. Let's go be a student of the old Batman. Maybe that's where they need to go. Yo, the dialogue for Mark Hamill's Joker, the double entendres and the punning is great. Python into my Casa Nostra S you Casa Nostra. It just, just so many good little puns. It's, it's delightful. So is there anything else you guys wanted to uh, talk about or? Why is there no Nightwing movie? Um, Dick Grayson, best son, best boy, arguably also randomly promoted to have the best ass. It's Tim Drake and I will fight you. (gasps) Well, okay, fine. I'll accept that. (laughs) I'll accept that. But um, also, don't know why they always promote Nightwing booty everywhere. I appreciate it, but it's just there. So yeah. where is it? Where is my Nightwing movie? Gail Simone, and she knows how to rule, rule the internet. <laughs> so, like, I just realized, like, this is the first animated film we've brought to Symposium. And, hey, we chose a good one. So, yeah. Um, but it's just, like, this movie shouldn't... We, like, I should not be bringing this up in a 
UCLA, well, like, no, I would be doing that because I'm the superhero guy, but, like, really, this movie shouldn't have, in, have endured the way it did. It bombed it. Eh, no, okay, no. It, it bombed at the box office. It grossed, like, $6.8 million on a budget of $5 million in 1993 money, so did not make money. But, like, everything about this movie's production and the fact that it is an animated movie and we exist in an environment where animation is looked down upon wrongly, um, it should not have endured the way where everyone goes, oh yeah, that was like, they put out an animated Batman movie in the theaters. It would have been a, a fun trivia point that like annoying nerds would bring up at cons. And instead it endured to become this like, no, you guys, like this is the best Batman movie. And, like, it has a legitimate, like, stake and place in the discourse without it being this, like, cult object that is held at arm's length because, like, oh, it is an animated movie that's only 77 minutes long. Like, this is a movie that, like, does more filmmaking in those 77 minutes than arguably Joel Schumacher did in Batman Forever and Robin, which are two movies that he didn't really have that much control of, admittedly. But like, it just it's one of those things where like this movie like could have become a little thrown to the dustbin of history, and instead it's this movie that's just endured when nothing about it was supposed to be this way. I hadn't realized that this is actually the first animated film that we're um, presenting here uh, on Cineposium. So actually, I, thank you for bringing that up, and I think it's a great one to. Uh to start with and i hope we can make that a bit of a more of a pattern because i um do have a love for animated films as well particularly when it comes to sound design so uh, of course um you know i had to bring up that one point i made about the phantasm's uh vocal sound design that i think was really really neat and kind of gets into another area that i love which is like kind of horror element and i thought um all of that design around phantasm worked really really nicely and so all that's to say i hope we do get back to some more animation in the future perhaps i'm gonna have to come up with some ideas of my own but um i think that about wraps up the episode so um thank you mike for this presentation and um samantha thank you for coming on to join in on the conversation um i'm sure you'll be back soon i hope with more animated features as well so thank thanks so much mike all right thank you next time i'm gonna bring dragon ball super brawly the movie <laughs> yes do it do it i cried that's comics and anime for you the new symposium to be continued on symposium anime nerdposium nerdposium i like that so we hope you all enjoyed the conversation and we hope you'll continue to join us in our third season of virtual programming uh, we do have some exciting plans for this season so please do come on back and uh, subscribe to the show on anchor spotify apple podcasts youtube or wherever you listen to podcasts you can follow us on instagram at cineposium and on twitter at cposium to keep up with our updates and to keep in communication with us so thank you all again for listening and until next week take care everyone bruce wayne support us <laughs>